across africa by air and rail by frank g carpenter this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org across africa by air and rail the airplane has completed the conquest of the dark continent a two months journey from cairo to the cape of good hope has been reduced to a possible fifty-two hours of flying each hour representing one hundred miles through the skies cecil rhodes died hoping that one day his countrymen would finish the greatest of his african projects an all-british route traversing the continent his dreams were based upon steam and compassed a route of rail and water transport taking advantage of the nile and the great lakes those dreams are becoming realities and today only a few gaps remain unfilled on the long way from the north to the south in the meantime aircraft has sprung almost full-fledged into the skies and the gasoline engine and the airplane have beaten the steam locomotive and its steel track through the wilds the first flight from cairo to the cape was made by two officers of the south african air force colonel p van Rheinveld and lieutenant c j q brand of four competitors who started from cairo they were the only ones to land at cape town they had several accidents and wrecked two machines on the way leaving cairo on february tenth nineteen twenty they took twenty-eight days to reach cape town although their actual flying time was counted in hours their nearest competitor covered only half the distance while the two others did not succeed in getting across the desert wastes of the sudan in the airplane of our imagination let us take the trip they made we may be sure of excitement for even under favorable conditions we are starting out on one of the most dangerous air journeys known to the world but let us first look at a map and pick out our route it is a jagged line extending from north to south the length of the continent it is marked with dots and triangles each showing a place where we may land as we look at the map it seems quite simple and easy but actual experience proves its great difficulties we shall leave cairo at dawn and follow the nile to khartoum this is a flight of one thousand miles but landing places have been prepared along the entire route at intervals of two hundred miles we shall stop at one of these long before noon and spend several hours to avoid the heat of the day when gusts of hot air rising from the sun-baked desert make it dangerous to fly at low altitudes at the start of our flight we shall rise a mile or more to avoid these treacherous currents which frequently take the form of air spouts often visible on account of the dust and sand they have sucked up with them such currents have force enough to toss our plane about like a leaf in the wind with these great gusts of hot air spouting upward are cold currents rushing downward these are even more dangerous as they are always invisible consequently we shall fly high to avoid a bumpy passage as our pilot calls it and in landing must be careful lest we get caught in an air pocket from khartoum we start on the second longest and most dangerous leg of the journey this covers a distance of twenty six hundred miles extending to livingstone near victoria falls in northern rhodesia we shall follow in a general way the blue nile to Erie, and then go almost due south to uganda and lake victoria 
the second largest lake of the world. We shall skirt the eastern edge of the Sud, in which there is hardly a single safe landing place. Except in the main channels, masses of papyrus completely hide the water, and if we should come down in that treacherous region, we could hardly hope to get out alive. We should be unable to walk, swim, or float in the dense tangle. This second leg of our journey takes us into the heart of Africa. The country is wooded and mountainous. It is very hot, for we are nearing the equator, which cuts across the upper edge of Lake Victoria. In fact, our pilot will not fly after nine in the morning, nor earlier than four o'clock in the afternoon. The air is more bumpy, and often terrific thunderstorms seem to fill the sky with sheets of water. In dodging these storms, we must be careful not to fly so far off our course as to be forced to land in the wilds. The country here is a mile or more above sea level, and if we should fly too high in order to avoid the heat gusts, we may have trouble with our engines in the rarefied air. Below us are dense forests and rocky hillsides, and natural landing places hardly exist. As we go down the eastern shore of Lake Victoria, we see new sights. These are the water spouts, great spiral columns whirled up from the lake into the air by the eddying winds. Our route from Kisumu on Lake Victoria is to the southwest, and we land at Mwanza on the south shore. This is one of the outposts of the white man's civilization in darkest Africa. From Mwanza, we continue southwest across Tanganyika territory to Abercorn at the lower end of Lake Tanganyika, and then fly on to Broken Hill in northern Rhodesia, where once more we see a railroad. Preparing landing places in this part of Africa was a big job in itself. Not only were thousands of trees cut down to make clear spaces, but they were dug up by the roots to prevent them from sprouting again. Many of the native chieftains take great interest in keeping clear these aerodromes, which would soon be gobbled up by the jungles if left to themselves. They have also broken up and carried away from these spaces the giant ant hills that cover the land of Central Africa like freckles on a boy's face. These hills, which are often 25 or 30 feet high and 40 or 50 feet thick, are the home of the white ant. To make one aerodrome in northern Rhodesia, a force of 700 natives worked five months taking out 25,000 tons of the heavy rock-like clay with which the ants, grain by grain, had built their African apartment houses. Were our airplane to strike an anthill in landing, it would surely be wrecked. From northern Rhodesia down into Cape Colony, our flight is not quite so difficult. The country is lower and there are more open spaces. At Livingstone, we begin the third stage of the journey, and there cross the Zambezi, looking down upon its wonderful falls, larger than Niagara. From Bulawayo, the next important stop, we bear to the east as we go south, passing over the Transvaal with its diamonds and gold mines. We stop at Johannesburg and then fly to the westward, on down to Bloemfontein. Our last flight takes us to Table Mountains, with Cape Town and the Atlantic Ocean at its foot. We are at the end of the continent and have completed our 5,200 miles through the air. Those who know best the conditions in Africa believe that the establishment of a regular air service along the Cape to Cairo route will be difficult. During the rainy season, dense fogs are common, 
making flying uncertain and dangerous while at times the smoke from forest fires causes great trouble on account of the rapid evaporation the storage of gasoline in the tropical belt is extremely difficult sudden changes in atmospheric conditions form another serious danger but with the development of wireless stations along the route and the use of the radio telephone aviators can be warned while in flight of the weather conditions ahead and shape their courses accordingly meantime that all british line that cecil rhodes planned comes nearer to completion each year in thinking of the famous cape to cairo route most people consider it as a continuous railway trip or as an iron track spanning africa from south to north this it will perhaps never be we shall go by steam from cairo to the cape of good hope but almost one-third of the way will be over navigable rivers and lakes this was rhodes idea and it is also that of every practical engineer who has examined the country and its traffic possibilities the journey from cairo to the cape is now made by rail boat and ground transport these overland gaps are the ones which will one day be filled with railways but the water sections will remain as a part of the completed route the railroad from cairo has been extended two hundred and forty miles south from khartoum to senar on the blue nile where a great new dam which is to furnish more water for irrigating egypt and the sudan is now under construction the british have also built a railway from senar west to el obeid in kordofan this line crosses the blue nile at kosti from senar the fourteen hundred miles to lake albert is covered by nile steamers and by ground transport which may be automobile horseback or bullock wagon from the southern shore of lake albert is another gap which must be covered with ground transport to gain the shores of lake victoria and after victoria is crossed by steamer lake tanganyika must be reached overland from lake tanganyika to broken hill is a gap of four hundred and fifty miles which will soon be bridged by railroad construction from broken hill we have the railway to cape town a railroad extends northward from broken hill to bukama in the congo copper mining district of katanga but it does not fit into the scheme of an all british steam route to cairo another important railway development also the work of the british resulted from the world war the turks had organized an army to capture control of the suez canal and to meet this attack the british pushed a great expeditionary force into palestine they did this by building a swinging railroad bridge across the canal at kantara and laying a railroad two hundred and fifty six miles through the sinai and palestine deserts to haifa during these operations kantara normally a small garrisoned railroad town mostly sand and cinders became the greatest military base in all history besides the soldiers brought from all corners of the british empire the british organized the egyptian labor corps for which more than twelve hundred thousand egyptian natives were recruited this vast army of workers built the railway and kept the stream of men and supplies moving on to meet the attack of the turks the egyptians did not like this service much better than the children of israel liked toiling without wages for the pharaohs nearly four thousand years ago these operations resulted in the defeat of the turks and saved the canal moreover they linked africa and asia by rail 
and one may now go on comfortable cars all the way from cairo to constantinople and on to paris in reality three continents have been joined together by the kantara bridge and the palestine military railway this new link in the chain of the world's railway systems was part of the kaiser's dream of empire but he had no part in making it come true and it now adds to the glory and strength of the very nations he hoped to conquer end of across africa by air and rail by frank g carpenter